This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. God had been silent for over 400 years. We knew because we were listening, in a sense. I read of a star that was to announce a new king. And then one night, out of nowhere, a new star appeared. After watching it for a while, I I just felt this was the star the Jews had been looking for, the stars foretold in their ancient scripture, the star of the Messiah. And so I followed it. There were a few of us, and yes, we all actually followed a star. For over two years we journeyed, the star guiding us all the way to Judea. And then one night, it stopped. Our journey ended, not at a palace, not at a place fit for a king, but at the home of a peasant, where the animals were kept. Behind those doors, we saw a new king. God was finished being silent. We knelt down that night before the baby boy. 400 years of silence, broken by the cries of a new king. I'm very excited today to address the church across all our campuses, as well as campuses in people's homes. Sometimes on a snow day, people choose to stay home and they get to join us online. So I want to say hello to everybody, Maple Grove, Elk River, Spring Lake Park, and those that are joining us online. Would you give it up for all your friends across all of our campuses? Pretty cool that we get to worship together today. Today, as I was thinking about the season that we're in, we come out of Thanksgiving, and uh, of course my rule is one holiday at a time, and uh, we get done with the sleepiness of Thanksgiving, and we move into Christmas, and we move into this part of the year. Some people, Lord, you're, you're so excited about Christmas that you've been singing Christmas songs since July. Got, do I have any uh, July Christmas people in the house? All right, you're really, and there's other people like, not Christmas again. I don't know if I want to get her. So we were kind of all over the map in, in society about how we feel about the Christmas season. I do think that God gets a special chuckle out of it because people that don't consider themselves to be Christians are spending their time giving. They're sharing. They're smiling. They're caring for people around them. How many know every good and perfect gift comes from the Father up above? And so they're participating in the God's great smile to humanity when they dive into giving and they care for the people that are around them. 
What makes the birth of Jesus so important? I want you to know that human history is revealed in the form of a story. So we're gonna look at the story of Jesus' birth here in just a moment, uh, but I want you to consider that that story doesn't begin in the New Testament. It actually begins in a grander story. You see, the Bible is full of, of, of truth, and it's not just about data points and timelines, it's about the story of God with his creation. If you go back into Genesis, you'll discover that right there in Genesis, when the first two people were created, Adam and Eve, they were created and they had relationship with God. It's right there in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And as they had relationship with God, they were in a perfect place. They walked and talked with God, and they were able to uh, take care of nature and, and enjoy things. And it wasn't a lot of work. It was a great joy to them. And then the time came when Adam and Eve disobeyed, and they intentionally sinned. And of course, that whole story's wrapped up in a serpent or Satan that comes along and tempts, and they go ahead and take a fruit that they were not to take, and they chose to step into that. It was an intentional choice that they had when they sinned. And when that happened, something was released on the earth, something new. No longer was the garden and the, the place that they lived a happy place. Now there was separation and anxiety, and there was hurt, and there was frustration, and there was dysfunction between people. And God announced that there was a consequence for their sin. The worst of all of that for us was a separation from God. The consequence of sin was death. That there was separation from God. Before that, Adam and Eve would have lived forever. But now, all of a sudden, there was death that went into the picture. And of course, Adam would have to work the ground, and no longer would work be fun. Work would be hard, it would be difficult. It would take an exert, exertion of, of energy and, and effort on his part. And, and so it wasn't going to be easy for him. And then for Eve, she would have pain in childbirth. And uh, all of you that have given birth, that's where it started. You can blame Eve for that uh, in the story, okay? Uh, it all started there. But it also said that she would have difficulty and tension in her relationship with her husband. But God also, in the bleakest, darkest moment of the very first story of Genesis, he says this to the serpent as he is giving a consequence or a cursing to the serpent, to Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is a prophetic statement from God that there was a day coming. There was a day coming when the serpent would no longer have a positive effect. There was a day coming when there would be the offspring of Eve who would put his foot on the head of the serpent. How many know that's exactly what Jesus did when he came to the earth? Later on in the New Testament, we discover that Jesus came and he died on a cross and when he died, he canceled sin, death, hell in the grave when he rose from the grave. And he literally, in a sense, stepped on the serpent's head. There was a day coming. So embedded in a previous story was a promise of a better story. What I'm saying to you today is that we're going to read one story today out of the book of Matthew. But when we read that story, embedded in that story is a preview of thousands of years into the future, including 2019, that God was going to write a new story in your life. There's a prophetic promise hidden in, in this place that we're in. 
Of course, from Genesis on through the rest of the Old Testament, God would send prophets to speak of days that were coming because all of creation needed a Savior. They needed a Savior from sin. And there was a prophet that would promise that there was a Messiah coming. Micah would talk about a day coming, about a Savior who would save the people from their sins. And this is all the backstory to what we're going to talk about in the series. See, we're stepping into a series called Faces of Christmas. The faces of Christmas are faces that we are going to look at in the scripture. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at the wise men, we're going to look at the shepherds, we're going to look at Mary, and then we're going to look at the face of Jesus. But there's a whole bunch of people wrapped around this story, but in those faces, you're going to see yourself. For I want you to see yourself in Christmas, to insert your face into the story. As a matter of fact, what we're going to do as we go through the scriptures is we're going to have everyone participate in different things weekly. In our lobbies today, if you haven't already, there are stations or people that have old-fashioned Polaroid cameras. How many have ever used one of these? And there's, we want to take your, a picture of your face. I've already done it this morning. I stood in front of the camera and I, you know, gave the smile. And then we're going to hang them in our lobbies because throughout Christmas... The true story of Christmas wouldn't be the story of Christmas without you in it. That you matter, that you matter to God and you matter to us. And we want you to be a part of the story. And as we look at the story, we're going to go look into the New Testament. And just for the sake of those that maybe this is your first time and you've never read the Bible before. The Bible is split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New. I just mentioned the very beginning in the Old, Genesis, all the way through a book called Malachi. And then there was a period of silence, just as was mentioned in the video, of 400 years of silence where God wasn't speaking to people. And then the promise was revealed through Jesus. Now, Jesus' life is the story of the New Testament. The New Testament and then those that would follow Jesus when he was ascended to the Father. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all four perspectives on one story. There are four different news stations, if you will, all viewing the same event, but then by the Holy Spirit, they, they reveal different things within the Gospels. Some of those stories are the same and they're found in all four Gospels. Some are only found in one or some are found in two or three of the Gospels. But it's all about the same time period of when Jesus was on the earth. Today we're gonna look at Matthew and, we're gonna, and, and Matthew is one that gives a story of Christmas from a different angle than Luke does. We'll look at Luke in the next few weeks. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 as we begin Faces of Christmas, part 1, outside in. Everybody said outside in. From the outside in. A lot of times in the church we talk about it being from the inside out. But today we're going to talk about it being from the outside in. Great. Here we go, Matthew chapter two. How many are with me? You still awake? You still with Jesus? Still love God? Throw your Bibles up in the air so I can see you got them. All right? Electronic, paper, come on, wave them in the air. They're like, you just don't care. Okay. Matthew chapter two. Here we go, starting with verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, or star in the east, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Remember the prophet I talked about? And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he heard from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasury chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is a powerful, amazing moment. And if you can go with me into like movie mode and imagine what's going on, Many times, all we'll see is what we want to see in a picture. We'll only see the people there. And we can forget who is included from God's perspective. And today I want you to know, this is kind of a big idea of this message, there is always more to the picture than what we see. There is always more to the picture than what we see. Turn to the person next to you, say there's more to my picture than what you see. There's more there. God has a way of weaving things together more than we can ever imagine. And he loves to reach the the least likely, the most underestimated and the impossible people, and he includes those people into his story. In fact, he wants your face included into this story. In Matthew's account, we see wise men from eastern lands arrive in Jerusalem. Who are these wise guys? (laughs) Who are they? I mean... They're kind of in this picture. Well, first of all, I want to kind of set some things straight. I talked about the four different Gospels. The two Gospels that do talk about the birth of Jesus, Luke really goes in detail about the day of his birth. Matthew talks about prior to the birth and then once it already happened. But those two Gospels are not at the same time. They're not covering the same part of the story necessarily. For in, in Luke, he's talking about the day of and we see shepherds and we see Uh, The angels singing, and we see the animals, and we're thinking about the stable and all of that. Okay, that's what we have. Now, popular opinion and kind of tradition over time have merged the story of Luke with the story of Matthew. And they've included these three kings into a story, but they weren't really there at that moment. For what we're seeing in the story in Matthew chapter 2 happens a long time after the actual day of Jesus' birth. So many people, are like, they're used to singing the song, we three kings of Orient are. How many of you have ever heard that before? Probably sung a little better than I just did. But here's, here's the thing. We think of those people, or maybe you've had a nativity set, and there's always these wise people there, and they're bringing their gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and bowing down. But that's not when it happened. It did happen, but it's just not at the same time. It's kind of merged the two gospel accounts in the popular opinion. But friends, we need to stick to where the word is at on this, okay? Now, we'll get to this in just a moment. I know I just wrecked some of your worlds. You're like, come on. Uh, 
It's okay, it's okay. There's nothing bad about it. But we don't know where they're from. We don't know what country they're from. We know they're from the east. We know that, that um, some translations are called the Magi, uh, which is a, a title of somebody that was pursuing uh, higher levels of learning that may have included uh, some of the spiritual dimension, but also intellect and other things. And so they're from the east. Many scholars might think they're from Iraq or even further to the east of Iraq. They're far, far away. And by the way, they didn't just call an Uber and show up the night that Jesus was born. They weren't necessarily a part of a synagogue or a church. They weren't connected to our faith as we know it. These people are outsiders. If you think about it, they're somewhere in, in, in Europe or they're somewhere in, in, in another nation. They're in Australia or something. And they're a long way away. While we're singing about Jesus the little baby in Bethlehem, these people aren't even in the picture. Are you catching what I'm saying today? They're so far away. And what we do know about them is they're away and they're respectable people. These people had spent a lot of time studying the stars. Now, I don't understand astrology or people that study the stars, but there are a lot of people who do. How many of you, either now or when you were a little kid, you had a telescope and you looked at the sky? You looked up at the sky and there's different constellations and you looked at the different aspects of them. Well, these people studied them thoroughly, so much so they also looked for signs and they believed that certain things would come from, uh, a knowledge could come from those signs. And they noticed when a new star was born, they noticed something brilliant and it appeared that wasn't there before. When that happened, something in their studies, and I would argue the Spirit of God was speaking to them, caused them to look into it more. Now, I don't know if they were in Iraq or somewhere else, and this is a place where the Jews at one point in the Old Testament were spread throughout the whole world in exile, and there are believers, uh, uh, Jews everywhere in the world, and there might have been a local synagogue where there was the, 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 the Torah was there, and they could read the law, and they could read the scriptures there, but they might have had friends that were Jews and they might have known about the, the culture. So they might have studied it, we don't know. This is kind of background stuff that we're not sure about. All we know is they equated what was going on in the sky with a promise and a prophecy that there would be a new king born in Jerusalem or in, in Israel. And so they were in a place where they were studying it. This is a powerful thought. And I want you to catch something here because in the middle of the story, when you think about religion or you think about what's important or where God is moving, oftentimes you only see the most immediate picture. Many people, they see themselves as outsiders. I'm outside the picture looking in. I'm not a part of this historical account. But this is the beauty of Matthew's account today. I want you to know there are people that are outside of the sanctuaries of our congregation right now. People who have not been in church that God's on the move and speaking to right now. There are people not in the picture that you're thinking right now. How many of you, this weekend, you were with family for Thanksgiving, all right? And you're with family, and some of your family members were like, we're the same page, we love Jesus, we're all the same. How many of you also have family members that definitely are not on the inside of that story? And they seem like they're far, far away, just like the wise men. But I want you to know, God can go to work behind the scenes. And he can speak to people in places that we wouldn't even imagine. We also know that these wise men had some form of resource. Many times when the gospel is preached, 
Many people think that the gospel is only for those that are down and outers. But the truth is, these people had money. They had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They had status of some sort. So much so that by the time they reached Jerusalem and they went in to meet King Herod, they were let in the door. You don't just get in the door if you don't have some sort of status. These people were up and outers, if you will. These people were intellectually strong. These people were respectable. These people were smart. They had resources. And how many of God was still reaching them? I want you to know today, as a church, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. It's not just for people who are down and out, but it works for them. Come on, somebody. If you're at your bottom of your rope and you feel like you don't have anything left, God's gospel is just for you as well. But it's also for those that are up and outers, things, people that seem so far away, caught up in their own stratosphere, I want you to know it's for them too. I have a friend who's, uh, who's very, very much uh, a, a Bible-believing follower of Jesus today, but he wasn't always that way. As a matter of fact, earlier in his story, he was an atheist. He didn't grow up in a church. Nobody ever talked to him about the gospel. He didn't know rights for wrongs. He didn't know what a Sunday service was because Kanye hadn't showed up yet, <laughs> okay? So he didn't know anything, right? And as he's, he's grown up, somebody, and he's about 20 years old, somebody gave him a book by Greg Boyd, who's a local pastor here in the Twin Cities, and it, it was called Letters from a Skeptic. How many of you have ever seen that book? Great book for people that are doubting and not sure about life and trying to make sense out of all the bad things that have happened to them and how is God good when I hurt and all those kind of things. Anyways, he read the book and it stirred something in him and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So he was far away, never been in a church yet, but he had read this book. Now, it went so far in him, the gospel of Jesus did and the power of his promise went deep inside of him, and his name is Preston, that Preston started or planted a church in Denver, Colorado. And in that church, it was a, it was a church that, doubters church. It was for people that, that didn't know anything about God and they were questioning, but it was okay to question. And then he started what he calls groups, we might call them connect groups for people even outside of the church, that he calls the doubters club. And that doubters club, people are getting together all the time. And you can look it up, you can go online and, and check it out, it's called thedoubtersclub.com. And if you've got people in your life that they don't believe in church but they're curious about life and trying to make sense, check out the doubters club, it's, in a, it's a really cool story. Here's my point on this. My point is that while we gather together as a church and every year we sing the same songs and we worship Jesus and we talk about Christmas, every single year, there is still, God is still reaching outsiders outside of here. He still is curious and, and reaching out to people. How many know the good news of the gospel isn't just for those that are already in the church, it's for everyone everywhere. Come on, somebody. You know it's true. And these wise men in the story are revealing this because God is pulling them in to the story. You know what I think? God is moving people from the outside in. It's not just happening from the church out. The spirit of Jesus is working outside what you think should be happening. People who are away from God in their hearts can still discover the truth. And it's a reason to keep praying. How many of you have friends and family members in your life you're praying for? 
You need to remember, even though you don't see anything right now, God could be doing things you don't even imagine. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Keep believing in God's best for their life. Don't get discouraged. Keep praying and believing. And by the way, at Christmas, even during this series, this is a great time to invite them to come with you to church. What if you ask them to come with you? I don't know. I'm kind of scared. They don't like me. Just ask them. 90% of the people on the street would come to church if somebody would ask them. You're like, well, I already tried once. Really, is that the extent of how much you believe in them? Keep praying, keep believing, keep asking. Bring them to church with you. I promise we'll give an opportunity for people to know Jesus if they come to church on Sunday. This Christmas, it's a reason to keep praying, believing, and inviting people to be a part of the story. There are faces in your life that need to be a part of this story. Can I get an amen to that? There are also people here today who are in church, but you think you're on the outside of God's promises. Maybe you feel like you've done too much, gone too far. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. And I want you to know that God will speak to you right in the middle of where you are. In fact, he'll send weird signals to make you go, what's going on in my life? I have run into so many people that have weird things happen to them, bump into people in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus begins to speak to them. They could be watching a TV show, and God begins to speak to them. How many know that's true? Weird things outside of church. Be looking for it, because I think God will speak to you. And it might not be in a Sunday morning. It might be this week when you go to school or you go to work. It might be while you're sitting down and taking care of your kids or changing a diaper. Come on, somebody. Yes, God can speak through diapers somehow, some way. I don't know how it is. If he can use a donkey, he can use a diaper. (laughs) Tweet that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And when he does search, these wise people saw something and they went on a journey. They searched for, they took steps. Then they got in a caravan and they moved and they pursued what it was. And if you notice those things, begin to search. Don't miss it. God will use anything in your life to point you to Jesus. And you can search for him and go after. And when you do, you will find him. I think that if we look for Jesus, he can and will be found. And by the way, he wants all of us, everybody, everybody, to move closer to his purpose for us. Um, We have a thing here at Emmanuel called Growth Track. And some of you might be wondering what Growth Track is. Growth Track is a four-week introduction to who we are as a church and a process, but it's really about you. Because as a pastor, I don't wanna just have people attend and watch. I want people to be a part of the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. I want you not just on the outside of the glass looking in. I want you in and experiencing all that God's Redwood faith offers you, that connection that you can have in the body of Christ. And in that class, which by the way starts the first Sunday of every month, the first one is today, and you can jump in, you can join online with us or uh, sign up online, and we'd love to have you in. But in the class, we talk about who we are as a church, but we also are looking at what your gifts are. And we want you to discover your purpose, but we want you to live with purpose. And part of that can include the church. And my wife, Jody, she teaches at Spring Lake Park um, periodically. And when she does teach, she begins to talk about the power of connection. 
Because many people come to church and they have a heart they might. It's like theater religion. All they see is the back of people's heads. But they never get to know other people. How many know that's the big missing element? When you get to have connection with other believers and you build friendship, that's where power happens. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, I'm there right with you. And so when we're in class, one of the things she'll talk about is the secret sauce. How do you find friends at Emmanuel? And uh, I'm sorry if this isn't gonna work really good for everybody, because these are not really good circles, but hey, you're gonna have to deal with it today. Your pastor's just gonna go for it. She'll draw circles. And these are circles of friendship, okay? So in, in our, our life, we've got different levels of friendship. On the outside are strangers. We have people we don't know, we bounce by, we walk by, we have no idea who they are. There are some strangers in church. It doesn't always have to mean stranger danger, okay? There's good people, you just don't get to know them yet, okay? Okay, then you've got acquaintances, okay? And acquaintances are people that you get to know, but you don't really know a lot about them. You don't know them, you don't know everything about them. You might know their name, you get familiar. It's the same person handing you coffee, or some of you notice when you drop your kids off at our amazing Emmanuel Kids, or whatever it may be. You get to know people a little bit, okay? But then there's mutual interest friends, okay? And mutual interest friends, this is where the secret sauce is. How do you do it upside down? Yeah. I did it. Mutual interest friends, mutual interest friends are people that you run into regularly because of a shared commitment or you see them for the same reasons. You go to work, the same people every day, mutual interest. If it's not a work day, you're not hanging out with them, okay? It could be you're a parent and you take your kids to music practice or to a sports uh, practice and you're with them uh, frequently during a sports season. So Jody and I, over the years, our sons were in sports and we'd take them to basketball practice and we would go to practice, we'd go to games, we'd go to tournaments and we'd always see these other parents that we would be with, and you get to know them a little bit deeper when you're in the same setting. But as soon as the season was over, you weren't hanging out with them, okay? So mutual interest is important. And don't think of one as better or worse than the other, but they are, in a sense, a sequence, a progression of a relationship. On the inside are close friends, okay? And many people are like, well, how on earth am I ever going to have deep, good friendships at Emmanuel or in a church? And it's really tough because you're like, I just don't have any friends. I go to church, but I don't have any friends. Well, you don't have any friends maybe because you're sitting out here. Maybe all you do is just see people. You come in late, and you leave as soon as the amen is, and you beat your friends to the parking lot or to the line to pick up your kids, right? Um, and maybe there's acquaintances. And yes, I've spelled that wrong somewhere in there. Okay? But if you wanna develop and move further in your relationships, the secret to being connected is to have a place of regular connection with believers. That can happen within the context of our 
connect groups, which I talk about all the time. And if you haven't been in one, you can have an opportunity to do that. We've got information on our website. In each of our lobbies, we've got information to help you. We want you to connect. But it, the best place to start sometimes, because it can, it, it, not everybody jumps in right away. The best place to start is through volunteering. When you begin to volunteer, and I'm not telling you you have to do it every week. A lot of our volunteer positions at the church could be every other week or a couple times a month or whatever it may be. But when you go to the regular place, you don't, we don't want you to get involved because we need to fill spots. We want you to get involved so that you can build friendships and be connected. Now all of a sudden you have an opportunity within this mutual interest area to begin to develop friendships, authentic, real connection with people that have the chance to eventually move to close friendships. Close friendships don't happen fast, they happen over time. And all relationships move from the outside in. Are you hearing me today? So when it comes to life, not just relationships, but everything, we start on the outside of opportunity. Not everybody is given the greatest job in the world. They start on the outside. They go through an education process or they, they go through working over a period of time and then they move towards their dreams. Your dreams aren't just handed to you. You start from the outside and work your way to the dream. The point is, we all need to move from the outside in. And wherever you are, you and I need to go on a search. Search for peace and hope and purpose and love in eternity, and the promise is you will find him. I love what Jeremiah says when God is speaking to people. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11. He said, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If you seek for him, you will find him. By the way, it won't necessarily happen fast. Going back into the story of these wise men, as they're going there, by the time they reached Bethlehem, Jesus was now a toddler. He was now older. How do we know that? Well, Herod wanted to kill every boy under the age of two. So there's about a two-year time span that he was trying to wipe out any of his threats or oppositions to his throne. And by the time the wise people meet there, they weren't even there on the night that the angels sprung open and sang glory, glory to God in the highest. They weren't even in that story yet. It took time for them to bring their gifts of worship to Jesus, this newborn Savior. He was a toddler by the time they reached him. And I want you to know, in life, it takes time to build friendships. It takes time for us to discover God's best for us. If you're trying to overcome some kind of besetting sin or bad habit or thing in your life that you want to overcome, it won't happen quickly. You've got to give it time. You need to take the time, persevere, keep moving forward, because if you take the time, you will find him. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like, but Pastor Nate, it's so hard. It's too difficult. I feel like I prayed last week and it didn't change this week. And so you're ready to give up. Let me tell you what, following God in some aspects, not all, 
And wanting to change who you are and the mindset that you have is a little bit like getting braces on your teeth. You get braces on your teeth and your teeth start off crooked and they put this thing on and then they go in and they tighten them. How many of you have ever gone through a tightening of braces? They tighten the teeth and then when they do, it hurts. It hurts and then you gotta go back again next month. And when you go back in the next month, you're like, it hurts exactly the same as it did last month. It's not working. But how many know it is working? The teeth are coming together in alignment. Pain doesn't mean that God's promise is not on the way. Sometimes pain means God is bringing you into alignment with his promise. He's taking you through that process and allows you to get there. And there's good news along the way because he is with you and he will help you find it. I want to give you a warning. Hidden in this story, the serpent rears his ugly head again. And it's through the character we see in Herod. Herod is the king. And he's in charge and he's threatened. And when these wise men came to meet him, we don't know if there were really three. All we know is what kind of gifts they gave. They gave three gifts. It could have been 10 people giving three gifts. Sorry to blow your mind again, but hey. Um, as they came in, Herod goes, tell me more about it. Where are you going? And why are you going there? And what do you know? Because Herod wanted to get as much information as he could to wipe out the boy. And by the way, he might have wiped out the wise men too if God didn't help them out. And so they told him, and these people searched the scriptures and the scriptures revealed what was in, happening in, in Bethlehem. And then they take off and they go to Bethlehem. And this is what I want you to see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that had been seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Here's my point. My point is this. Even though Herod had meant evil for them, the evil did not stop them from reaching the dream. So in other words, even though there's evil present, evil present will not stop God's plan. Remember, Jesus is the one that puts his foot on the enemy. He's the one that destroys him. If you're in a place where you're afraid that the enemy is gonna win in your life, you need to get underneath Jesus because the devil can't handle it. Satan can't stop you as long as you're following Jesus. Jesus will get you to your destination and he'll take care of your Herod. God got him to that place where he needed to go. You don't need to be afraid. Turn to the person next to you and tell him, don't be afraid. And God provides the promise that we see in Genesis and finally, the wise men were able to do what they had spent their whole life searching for. They worshiped. Verse 11 says, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They recognized who the king was and then they gave him what they had. And worship takes recognition and action. I want to just say this to you. Please look up from your notes, your Bibles, your phones, ESPN, whatever it is. Look this way. I want you to consider 
that after you've spent the last year of your life working on something, maybe you spent years and years and years preparing. Parents, you're raising kids, and now all of a sudden they're getting older. Please tell me, when you get to the point where you reach your dream, you're still able to worship. You're still able to turn back to the king that it isn't all for yourself, that all this work you're doing with your career, your business, your life, your relationships, your finances, all of that isn't just for yourself. These people show us that when you, you get the opportunity to reach the thing that you've been searching for, it's time to bow your knee. It's time to give what you have and the resource. They give the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You and I can worship Jesus. And friends, I want you to know, the ultimate picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is one who worships. They recognize who God is, and they recognize that they're in the presence of a king. And they're willingly saying, God, I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in my story. I want to keep worshiping you. How many know that's what true wisdom is? That's what true wisdom is. As we reach the end of this particular week of our Faces of Christmas, I want to begin by saying we need to be people who get our eyes off ourselves and recognize the one eternal God who wove together a thousands of years story into one moment that we're all included in. You and I are all included in his story. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're in. No matter how far outside you've been, he's included you into the story. And you and I have an opportunity to worship him. In fact, in each of our campuses today, if you could just stand up. Spring Lake Park, Maple Grove, and Elk River, could you just stand today with me? And if you could, you would join with the wise men as they walked in to the house in Bethlehem to see the little Jesus. And you'd shut out everything else in your life and you'd begin to think about him. And you begin to go, oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord will give him all the Close your eyes and bow your head right where you're at. You know you're in the story and that Jesus is interested in you. You came to church today and maybe you weren't expecting anything. The greatest surprise is that there's more to the story than what you see. For God sees your heart and he knows your mind. He hasn't abandoned you and he's interested in you. And there's still hope because he's in your story. No one's looking around today, but 
If you came to church and you're saying, you know what, I'm away from God. I'm outside of his promise. Now, once you hear the promise and the voice of God through this story saying to you, you're not so far away that he can't reach you, that he notices you and loves you, and he went to the cross and he died for you before you chose him. And your only responsibility is to receive the good news, to surrender to his rulership, his kingship in your life, and to give up running your own story and simply surrender and following God. As you came to church today, there are people under the sound of my voice that you know God has been speaking to you. And if you're away from God, either you once walked with him and walked away, or maybe you never followed Jesus or surrendered to him, today I want to pray with you. And if that's you, can you just put your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Nate. I need to come back to God. I need to give my life to Jesus, maybe for the first time. Yes, yes, yes. Several people in the room. Yes, yes. I see your hands. Yes. The promise and the hope of Jesus is in this place today. If you raise your hand, whether you're watching online or you're, you're sitting uh, somewhere in the, in the sanctuary and you're not really thinking about what's going to happen in your future, but God has begun to interrupt you and show you more to your story today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just, you want to give your life to Christ, and I'll lead you in a prayer. Mean it from your heart, and as you pray to Jesus, I believe that his promise of hope and salvation will come to you today. Just pray this out loud, and everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You lived a sinless life, and then you died on the cross for my sin. You rose from the dead, and I know you're alive. Today, I surrender. I give up, and I ask you to take over be my leader. Please forgive me of my sin and make me new. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.